I'm Megan Hale, and you're listening to The Enoughness Revolution, a feel-good podcast on creating joy in life, work, and love. Join me every Monday and Thursday for practical tools that speak to the soul to create a life you love. It's Transformational Thursday, sisters, and I am so excited for today's episode because I'm about to introduce you to somebody you are going to immediately fall in love with because that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> so I'm talking to the amazing Isabel Fox and Duke today, who is the creator of Stop Fighting Food, which is a free video training program for women who want to stop feeling crazy around food. I absolutely 100% support the work that she's doing in the world, which is why I became an affiliate for her program. And I'll tell you why. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating, binge eating, chronic weight cycling through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all. And not just by shifting the mindsets of people, but by challenging the dominant diet culture as a whole, which we're diving into in today's episode. And I know that you're going to find it so powerful. A fixture and thought leader in the greater body positive movement, which I am so all about. Isabel has been featured in the Huffington Post, Elle Magazine, XO Jane, and has been praised by Ricky Lake, you guys. Her writing and free guide, How to Not Eat Cake, can be found at IsabelFoxandDuke.com, and you can watch her free video training series at StopFightingFood.com. All of those links are down in the show notes. But here's one thing that I really want to point out to you. Her website is full of some of the best top quality content I have come across, and I look at a lot of websites. She really does an impeccable job of curating the information that she is making available to all of her clients, her potential clients, anybody that comes across her, and really delivering some powerful tools all for free. So you definitely want to go and check out her website, okay? So make sure you check out the show notes after you get done listening to this episode so you can get access to all of those free resources. We are going to be having such an amazing conversation. I'm so excited to share this with you. So without further ado, here is Isabel. Welcome back to a Transformational Thursday episode, everyone. I am so excited to have my next guest with me today, Isabel Foxen-Duke, who is the creator of Stop Fighting Food, among many other amazing things. You are going to absolutely fall in love with her. I did in like less than five seconds just by going to her website. So Isabel, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we were uh, introduced by Maddie Moon, who's also a rock star. So I know. yeah. Friend Isn't of that like the best? Friend of mine. Yes, she's amazing. I love her. So. I know. Likewise. And I, I think that's like one of the, my favorite things about podcasting is you like interview one person and then they introduce you to other people. And it's like this beautiful like chain letter of awesome girls. So I'm so thrilled. So true. I'm into it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I am so excited to talk about this, like your work, first of all, because I think that your approach to eating and our relationship with eating is so fresh. So I would love to just start there. I'm like, how did you find your work or how did your work find you rather? 
Right. I mean, yeah, I think that that's a more appropriate way to describe what happened to me. Um, you know, my work definitely found me totally by accident. Um, but like, and not because I feel like I'd been training for what I do for most of my life. Mm -hmm. So just to give a little context, I'm definitely one of those people for whom their work came out of recovering from very, very serious pain in a very mm -hmm. particular area of my life. I, um, you know, have been, uh, I was put on my first diet when I was about three years old. I almost always start with my story by saying that because it's so absurd. Wow. And yeah, by a PD, by a pediatrician, by my pediatrician, which is like, <laughs> like mind blown. Yeah. And, um, who, you know, was just kind of actually doing the thing that, you know, doctors are told to do these days, get people thin, get people thin. Right. I mean, this is sort of overtaking our current medical model or, totally. you know, and, um, so, uh, but of course, you know, the problem with this is our, this is pretty obvious, right? I mean, first of all, dieting can be pretty, pretty dangerous, um, in a lot of different ways. Usually doesn't make people permanently thinner, usually just sort of catapults them down a road of dysfunctional eating patterns, which was certainly my experience. So I was, sort of doing the, the classic yo-yo dieting thing from the time I was a very, very small girl, you know, just dieting, restricting, constantly trying to get thin, just thought that was like literally the most important thing in the world. It was like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do today? Doing ever more and more desperate things to try and control my size. And of course, you know, inevitably, you know, would end up in these sort of wild binge eating behaviors, um, you know, literally rummaging through my cabinets, you know, like looking for, you know, eating peanut butter out of the jar, just like praying to God that my mother, you know, didn't catch me, um, hiding food, sneaking food, um, you know, sort of like yeah. dieting in the daylight, binging in the nighttime. I mean, it was just so, um, it was like a constant, it was just like a, something that constantly filled my brain space. It felt like a full-time job yeah, all the time, constantly trying to control my size, constantly trying to control my food, and then subsequently feeling like a complete failure and just miserable wreck about the fact that there must be something fundamentally wrong with me that I cannot do this. And not only can I not do this, I cannot seem to eat like a quote unquote normal eater. It's like, I can't have one chocolate. Like the second I have a chocolate is like, I'm in like five boxes of chocolate and, you know, and the jar of peanut butter. And like, I'm like, you know, like sometimes I'm surprised that I never ate like raw flour with my hands, mm. you know, like it's like that level. And so this was my life for my whole childhood up until I basically got into treatment. And, um, you know, what ended up happening was I did end up getting into treatment when I was uh, 19 years old. I went into treatment for binge eating. Mm -hmm. And um, which, I mean, I could just go into even more crazy stories in detail about how I ended up there, but that, that's the short of it. And um, when I was in treatment, what I realized was that there's actually not a lot of great treatment out there. Mm. <laughs> like, there's a lot of um, conflicting opinions about how binge eating should be treated, how emotional eating should be treated, how compulsive treating, eating should be treated. Like, you know, there's everything from you need to be on a strict meal plan, you know, and, um, you know, just literally like count and measure and weigh all of your food and like eating anything the outside of that. The of that is just 
It makes oh, me, oh. I start to like shrink away. Oh, oh. And, and I mean, I could get into why my binging went into substantively, even just more progressive and more intense throw. I fell into more intense throws of binge eating, the more restrictive my eating became. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this was a very, very problematic thing, but there are so many people who assume that the answer to being quote unquote out of control around food is to try to exert more control. In fact, that is the dominant cultural model, right? I mean, that is, we Mm. live in a diet culture that assumes that dieting is functional, that dieting works. And so when somebody quote unquote can't control their food or is binge eating or emotional eating or whatever, the assumption is that we need to be controlling more. The assumption is we need to eliminate all sugar, all flour, all this, all that, right? Dieting is so often proposed or food control in general is so often proposed as the solution to binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive eating, you know, emotional dependency around food, et cetera. When in fact, now it's sort of starting to become clear and more therapists are getting hip to this. And thank God this is becoming more mainstream information that actually in reality, losing control around food, having these wild binge eating episodes and emotional dependencies on food almost always goes in hand in hand with dieting and trying to control food to begin with. Right. And so now we're starting to really understand that all that so many of the attempts that people have made to try to control binge eating have actually been making them worse. They're actually doing more of the same damage that the original diet, that first diet you ever went on was doing. And so, yeah. How long did it take you to realize this epiphany that like the whole culture around this is like not even functional? Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, it's funny when I was in high school, so this was before I even went to like, even like started my journey, which by the way, I will say after getting into treatment, it took me about six or seven years. I'm sure. And really understand this stuff because it was, again, so much misunderstanding, so many, so much conflicting information, et cetera. But I will say when I was in high school, I remember, you know, I was working on all of these body image projects and I was doing all of this like hardcore, like, um, you know, there was a part of me that knew like, this is screwed up. Like we live in a culture that is screwed up around women's bodies. And, you know, I want to talk about this. I want to explore this. I feel like a, you know, a victim to this. I think ultimately though, that knowledge and that awareness didn't help me break free of it initially. Like I didn't have the depths. I didn't have enough of an education around it really. And I wasn't ready to really, kind of no longer be a victim to it really or like stand up to it there was this mm-hmm, part of me that was mm-hmm. like I know this is screwed up but like this mm-hmm. is just the way the world is and if I want to like get married and have a family and like, I mean I so I attached so many life dreams to being thinness I can't oh. even tell you I think that's like the first step though like when we're trying to find like our sense of self we try and conform ourselves to what we think the world wants us to be right Right. It's a social, right? I mean, ultimately, fundamentally, if we lived on desert islands, no one would care about weight. You know, this is so much about trying to get other people's approval, trying to make oh other people, trying to get, for me at the time, you know, when I was in high school, it was like, I need to get the guy I want to get. I want the girls to like think I'm cool, but you know, whatever it was. Um, I think for a lot of yes. people, it's their mothers or their family. I mean, like, it's just, it, this is it goes on and a on. social issue. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. fundamentally a social issue, which I think is something that people don't talk about enough. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so like there was this understanding that I had that, you know, the way we, we look at bodies and particularly women's bodies, although increasingly mm-hmm. men's as well, is like yeah. totally, totally oppressive and dysfunctional. I sort of intellectually knew that, but yet still felt a slave to it. Like yet right. still felt like, okay, but like, this is the way the world is. And like, I either play the game or I'm going to have a miserable life and no one will love me and like, blah, blah, blah. Those are some strong beliefs. Oh yeah. Oh, oh. And I think that this is, you know, this is the root of dysfunctional disordered eating. I mean, like this is- Well, let's let's talk about your story though, because at the age of three, at the age of three, okay, which is a super vulnerable time for Mm -hmm. our development of what we are learning about what it means to be enough- Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're likely naturally internalizing this message because that's what we do, because we don't have any like spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, even, you know, conscious maturity to have a filter of, mm-hmm. of that whatsoever. And so yeah. from the age of three, you have this like very rigid idea of what you need to do and how you need to change to be different in order to be enough. And you couple that with the very real reality that you have to eat to live. Like this is not like a normal mm-hmm. relationship to anything. Like we have to eat, right? And so you're facing this every right. single day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I couldn't yeah. imagine like the prison that that must have felt like at times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember, it's so funny you say the reality that we have to eat. I remember thinking, I wish I were a drug addict or I wish I were an alcoholic, which is such a horrible thing to think because I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I have so, I'm so close to the recovery community at this point that it's like, I, 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 I berate myself for even having had those thoughts. Mm -hmm. But, but I remember having the thought, I wish that this were something that I could just, you know, eliminate entirely. Right. right? Like I wish that this were now again, have knowing the information I know now, I realize I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. You're not addicted to food necessarily. Right. You were addicted to dieting and you were obsessed with food and you're obsessed with weight. And these things all ultimately led to crazy compulsive behaviors and rebellion. Mm. And Oh my gosh, I better eat all the peanut butter right now. And then I promise day one starts tomorrow. Right. I mean, right. Ultimately these compulsive behaviors around food were so inherently linked with dieting and body obsession and all of these other things. But I didn't, look at any of that. I just yeah. thought I'm addicted to food. I'm a food addict. That's my problem. There's something wrong with me. And wouldn't it be so much easier if this were alcohol and I could just right. cut it out entirely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. So I think that's a really interesting point, but yeah. So, th- you know, three years old, I, um, is a very, very young age to sort of get this, this train started. Although I will say, I think that, you know, you can be 30 and you can end up on the same train. Mm-hmm. You know, I have clients who went on their first diet, you know, before their wedding, totally yep. normal eaters, yep. totally normal eaters until, you know, a certain age when the first age they just decided, Oh, better, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to lose 15 pounds for my wedding or for my this or for my mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. go on a diet. And this literally the cycle just begins. Wow. You know, it's like they go on the diet, they lose the weight for the wedding. They binge their brains out. They gain the weight back. They go on another diet. They binge their brains out. They gain the weight back. They go on a diet. Right? And then it's like, they are effectively where, you know, at, at some point they get to where I was, where they're like literally on their knees, I don't know what else to do. I mean, the thing right? that screams at me is like the amount of failure that you have to feel when you're stuck in this cycle, like you can't break free of it. I feel like that's just got to be so hard. 
Yeah. Oh, it is incredibly painful. And the hardest part was that I really thought it was my fault. I mean, I really thought there was something, it didn't occur to me. And again, this is where things get real. This is what I didn't understand about culture, but I learned later, which was a pivotal point in Mm -hmm, my recovery. mm -hmm. I didn't realize really that dieting is actually biologically doomed to fail for most people, right? Like I didn't realize that there are actually biological reasons why forcibly trying to control your size through like limiting the foods that you eat usually doesn't work out well for people. And there is an enormous amount of evidence to support this. I think as I'm saying it though, despite the evidence that supports it, as I'm saying it, there will be people who will disbelieve me. Like there are going to be people who are like, no, 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 no. But like, if I just got this one thing right, but no, if I just held my willpower together strong enough, right? I mean, there's just so, the entire culture revolves around trying to convince you that the dieting does work and that you're just a failure if you can't stay. But you're just it. not doing it well enough. Right. Or you haven't picked the right one or you don't have the right information or if you did it a different way, it would work or whatever or whatever. Right. And so when I was in high school, you know, even though I always knew like, oh my gosh, this body image stuff is so screwed up. But like, I guess I got to play the game and go on a diet. What really sort of shifted my thinking was when I started to understand, oh my God, it's not just body, just not just like being nasty about women's bodies that's problematic in our culture. We live in this diet culture where it is assumed that you are supposed to control this natural biological instinct, Mm. right? It's like, which really, if you think about it, is like as ridiculous as like trying to control like when you pee or trying to control how you breathe, right? Eating is very, very natural biological thing. Um, You know, you are going, if you restrict yourself enough, at some point it is inevitable that you will start gasping for food, right? Right. Gasping for, you know, as if you you were holding your breath and you tried to hold your breath for too long or tried to control your breath for too long. At some point you were going to start gasping for air. It's an amazing analogy. Same thing with food. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we live in this culture that, that literally fundamentally denies, and this goes all the way up into like problems in our medical system and so many different, I mean, deep dark rabbit hole. It's a deep, dark rabbit hole into dysfunction on mm-hmm. many institutional levels. Um, but, you know, fundamentally so, speaking, yeah. Well, what happens after you went to treatment? I mean, I feel like, was that like the beginning phase of like where stuff started to turn for you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, for me, I mean, again, it was several years into really having totally. recovery, yeah. um, but treatment, first of all, like the benefit of go, the immediate benefit of going to treatment or like the immediate thing that happened to me when I went to treatment was just acceptance. Like, oh my gosh, this is a real problem. Like, right. Except like, oh my gosh. like Was that a relief? Is- Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was also, there was a part of me that knew it was a real problem. And there was a part of me that was so there was definitely a part of me that thought, oh, I'm just going to go to treatment for 30 days and then I'm going to be fixed. (laughs) That did not happen. (laughs) Not how that works. Um, No, but what I will say was there is something to be said. There is something to be said for like coming out of denial of what's going on. And and it, it stopped being, oh my God, I'm just failing at my diet to, oh, like this is a real problem that is not about me not being able to stick to a diet like this is like I have a highly just multi-layered dysfunctional relationship with food and my body that I need to address yeah right and so that was just having that mental shift I mean whether I went to treatment or not having that mental shift like getting to the point where I stopped identifying this as like why can't I stick to my diet I suck I'm such a failure to oh 
like there's actually something going on here that I need to address like on a psychological level yeah. was, um, was, you know, important for just moving forward in, in my journey. Right. And like yeah. stop and not trying to fix this problem by going on Atkins. It's like, okay, no, I need to do something else. So that was, that was good. When I was in treatment, I, um, you know, the thing about treatment again, it's like, this is such a long process. I went into treatment thinking, Oh, 30 days, bing, bang, boom, in and out. I'm going to get fixed. Did not happen that way. I mean, treatment was so the basic teeny tiny beginnings, 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 beginnings. And quite frankly, treatment didn't go nearly as far as ultimately I needed it to go to fully recover. And I think in a lot of ways, even clinical therapy, I mean, I was in clinical therapy for years thereafter. And yeah. even that is like, it only like it, it did very specific, wonderful things for me. And there were major gaps in what I learned, a lot of which have to do with, um, um, sort of conflicts of interest in how medicine is practiced when it comes to weight issues, right? So right now we have um, like a pretty weight biased medical system. And then you have a bunch of eating disorder professionals who by and large are being trained within this institution, mm-hmm. treating mm-hmm. disorders, what are effectively disorders in the pursuit of weight loss, right? Like mm-hmm. you have, so like, so there's a little bit of a, con- there's just a little bit of a conflict there. There's some therapists who are really, really, really like have gone above and beyond to get continuing education in this area and are really like groovy and cool and, and, and get it and know how to treat this issue and really educate people about how yeah. they're being lied to and how, you know, there are so many sort of dysfunctional messages coming into our lives that are contributing to this problem, right? Yeah. I don't just have this problem because there's something wrong with me and I have a psych- mental illness out of right. nowhere. I have a mental illness that was very much triggered yeah. by this particular social environment. And if mm-hmm. we're not really talking about what's going on in that social environment, we're doing people a disservice. So yeah, so, but, um, but there's, and then there's a lot of therapists who are just like drinking the Kool-Aid on the diet, on diet culture themselves. And so, I mean, in many instances you have eating disorder therapists. I mean, I've heard such crazy stories about eating disorder therapists who themselves are drinking the diet culture Kool-Aid and it's like very confusing for people. So yeah. So, you know, this is what I'm talking. These are just a few of the examples. And then I could go into many more having nothing to do with clinical treatment. Well, I mean, I think you point out a lot of really good things that I want to highlight for everybody that's listening. So when you're talking about making a really big life shift, mm-hmm. not like one thing, just one thing is not going to be the end all be all answer and solution. It's usually a lot of yeah. baby steps that make up a whole that really mm-hmm. makes the big shift. Because I would imagine that not only did you go to treatment, that's beginning to get some education behind you. You're kind of opening up to what's my relationship here. You're getting a lot of awareness. Then you have the therapy piece. Then you also probably have um, lots of other different types of support. You're doing the active changes in your lifestyle. Like all of this stuff, it's not just one thing that made the difference. It's all of these things together. Right, right. There were so many different pieces of the puzzle that ultimately ended up coming to what I consider to be like my real change in relationship with food in a sustainable and, you know, sort of permanent way. Um, There were various different, you know, if you take, so like I run my online program, that's basically just a collection of what I've learned over the past decade, you know, or more now at this point, 
very heavily studying this stuff, both as a professional and as a client patient. Yeah. Um, and it is, I will say like my work has been influenced. Like there are at least four or five different core sort of, if you will, methods or ideologies that influence my work, if not more. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much, um, that is absolutely, that is absolutely the case. The, the, I think, I think you could make the argument part of recovering from diet binge cycling and diet like thinking and diet mentality, et cetera, is letting go of magic bullet thinking. Oh, yes. And I think that is, that is true for so many different things that we're trying to shift in our life. We want so badly for this one thing to be the answer. And then when it's not quite it, it's easy for us to be like, well, something must be wrong with me. And it's like, no, like there is not just this one magic pill, this one magic program. This, it's always a culmination of how we integrate this information put it into practice, and then we continue to add things onto it as we continue to grow and evolve and realize, okay, this is where a gap is for me. And your journey is going to be totally different than somebody else's. I think not giving up though Mm -hmm. and starting to have that positive, you know, hope (laughs) that's propelling you forward to keep on going with this. Like that's the critical piece. Well, seeing the learning and the journey as a positive thing rather than as a negative, you know, yes. like, you know, yes. it's like, like really seeing your movement through like, it's so interesting that you bring this out. I'm going to veer from food for a second, just because that's where this is going. Okay. But for example, like, I feel like right now, like, so right now, like, my biggest struggle in life definitely is relationships. Like, that's where I'm learning all of my spiritual lessons right now is in relationships. It's like, okay, like, food, good to go. Now I'm learning all of my spiritual lessons in relationships. And I feel like if there's anything I learned, like, from my healing my relationship with my food that I'm sort of trying to take in with in with me into this sort of new obstacle and this new challenge is like be in the challenge, like explore the challenge, enjoy the challenge, right? Like this, I mean, I think that, you know, my dad has this phrase, the saying, the crisis continues. You know, I once said to him, I'm having a quarter. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I said to him, my dad once, I was like, I think I'm having a quarter life crisis. And he said, Isabel, the crisis continues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and the game is really learning to enjoy the crisis a little bit like enjoy the puzzle enjoy the challenge enjoy the question mark right and it's going not to say that it won't be painful at times because it will enjoy the pain i mean is that a radical thing to say enjoy the pain like you know get into it like it's it's okay feel that pain do it yeah. up i, I get- would say you know i'm so glad that you bring that up because i think that like we have to realize that our journey is never to get to this one place where we're all good. Like that doesn't happen. Like our work will always continue as long as we're alive. And the more that we can like accept that as normal, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with us. Right. And there's nothing wrong with life. And I think oftentimes when we hit that crisis, it's like the the bottom of the world is falling out. It's like, it's really not, this is, it's a little tiny hump in the journey and it's a challenge that you're getting wisdom with. You're learning how to navigate that. And that's only going to help you propel you forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just feel so, um, there's a lot of like radical acceptance. I mean, a lot of his radical acceptance work. That is absolutely mm-hmm. something that is very, very important. And that's been 
probably the single most healing thing in my relationship with food. Going back to food for a second, it's just like, okay, you know what? Like, I ate a bunch of cookies. Okie dokie. I'm moving on with my life. Like, there is nothing left for me to do. I don't need to berate myself. I don't need to shame myself. I don't need to like jump to the next diet, which is just going to like keep the cycle moving forward. Like I don't need, I just feel like, okay, that happened. Maybe there's something to learn from it. Maybe it just was what it was moving on. Right. That's it. It's just radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is like, it is like the antidote to binge eating. That is like the number one thing that I have learned in my, in my relationship. Well, it's the antidote to shame. Right. 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 Exactly. And it's that right. And it's ultimately it's like, yeah, moving forward, it's like it's the antidote to like hating your life in general. Like it's just like the antidote. Seriously. Like it's just it is so incredibly important and powerful. And I think that, you know, that means radical acceptance of the things that you or society don't like or think are messy. Well, that kind of brings us, it ties us in really beautifully to your three top tips for creating more joy, because one of them is don't resist the moment, which to me is total radical acceptance, right? Yes. Because we're just accepting what is like, we're not trying to change it. It's like, this is reality. It's human. Yep. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you from what you're feeling or what you're experiencing. Be, be like, just be with what is like, be, get cozy with what is explore, be curious about what is instead of trying to fight it, trying to fight it, trying to fight it. The more I tried to fight the chocolate chip cookies, the more I just ended up sort of like painfully rebelling and like in this fight with cookies that took over my life. Yeah. Right. The more I was like, okay, it's just cookies. It's well, re- it's you know really what's really just interesting? Like one of, uh, so everyone who's listening, Isabel has an amazing blog. Like you have to go check it out because I was just on her website before we hopped on the call and she has this really great uh, post about like binge eating, like realizing that it's giving you information, right? Like instead of shaming yourself, yeah. realize like your frustration or your desire to consume something is giving you like a kind of a red flag that there's something emotional that's right. needing your attention. And it's so mm-hmm. funny because granted, like I'm in a, like a totally different place, like has nothing to do with food. Mm-hmm. I have, but it has to do with motherhood, which is like a, this huge, big life shift. Right. And I've been noticing that I'm like losing my patience. And I'm more frustrated than usual. And I'm like, you know, the immediate inclination is to shame myself for being like, why aren't, why are you losing your cool? Like, why are you getting upset with him? It's not his fault. And like, so I'm like shaming myself. Right. Like I'm a bad today, Exactly. So within a 24 hour period, I woke up, sleep does wonders <laughs> for resetting things. But I woke up and I said, but let this frustration guide you. It's giving you information that something needs to shift. So you either need more help, you need more support, you need to have different expectations, whatever that is. So allow this to be kind of that red flag. There's nothing to shame yourself about. It is what it is. You right. had a tough day. You've this has all been building, but it's information that's right. letting you know something needs to shift. And I see that exactly. as like so similarly with anything that we're going through. Instead Absolutely. of shaming ourselves about this stuff, like use it as information. Right, right. It is all just a process of exploration and learning, right? If you just decided that everything in your life were just a spiritual test, that in and of itself is just like, it's just a massive perception shift. Oh my God. Massive. I love that. It just completely changes the way you view life. Like everything, every hard thing in your life were actually just like a divine 
puzzle. Like, you know, that is a completely different way to look at your life than looking at your life as like, oh my gosh, I should be doing this correctly and I'm failing at okay. it. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that is like hands up. I'm yeah. like Woo! raising that sentiment because that is so huge and actually ties into your next tip for how to embrace uncertainty. Because I know for me, when I have these expectations about how life should be going mm -hmm. and then shit goes sideways because guess what? Uncertainty is part of life, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Embracing that, learning to roll with it, seeing everything as a spiritual learning experience. That is such a beautiful shift. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it's completely mentally necessary. I think that I would totally <laughs> lose my mind if I didn't at least like 30% or 50% of the time consider what but I was going through it at any moment, a divine, like a divine opportunity for learning yeah. um, and growth, you know, yeah. and becoming a different person and being molded, right? Somebody gave me that metaphor once they were, she was describing her personal relationship with, with God. And she said, you know, he, he molds me, he molds me. He's constantly molding me, which I just thought was like such a different way of thinking about challenge, life's challenges and such an incredible, it was just really struck me. But yeah. um so, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Uncertainty is, um, going back to just uncertainty for a second. Uncertainty is, uncertainty is where we learn. I think that, yeah. you know, it's impossible to learn where there is certainty, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. the, un the uncertainty and learning go together. Um, and, it is very human and natural. Our lizard brains are terrified of things that we don't know and things yeah. that are risky. Um, and at the same time, really, if you think about it, our growth, our spiritual development, most of the beauty of this world comes from risk and uncertainty. Um, and so we have to remember that when our lizard brain starts screaming at us, mm -hmm. you know, get it under control, make it one way, don't take, you know, all of those things. Yeah. So. And like, I think opening yourself to the adventure that is life. I mean, if yeah. we knew every single thing that was going to happen, like it would not be nearly as fun. No, you know? no. <laughs> uh, I need to hear that today because I'm notoriously conservative, like risk averse in my, in my decision-making, right? Like I'm new, I'm notoriously, um, I'm, I'm so unwilling to take risks. Mm -hmm. I have to really push myself to take risks. But typically speaking, risks, like conscious risks, like aware risks, almost always feel amazing, even when they turn into failures in quotes or turn into something that I was different than I thought they would. Yeah. You know, they're just, yeah, it's important to, uh, yeah, enjoy the adventure. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think like, Elizabeth Gilbert has something to say about that in Big Magic when she's like, like inspiration will throw you off a cliff and you'll roll and tumble and get bruised up and you'll get to the bottom and inspiration will say, you want to do it again? And then, like, <laughs> that's kind of how like risk, taking risks is like, you're going to get bruised along the way. You're going to tumble, you're going to rumble, but you're also going to learn a lot about the journey on the way down, right? Totally. So I think opening ourselves to that kind of thinking of like, it just... It makes risk a little bit, I don't know if it's less scary, but more necessary. Like we see the purpose of it a little bit more, you know? Totally. Oh, I love that. Cool. Okay. So we've got embracing uncertainty. Don't resist the moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's one more, isn't yes. there? Yes. And I would love for you to dive right in. 
practicing, well, so we talked about this pleasure as a spiritual practice. I think I may have phrased it slightly different. Um, practicing enjoyment, enjoyment as a spiritual practice, right? So this was, I think before earlier I said, what if you actually enjoyed the pain? Like what if you enjoyed the challenge? What if you enjoyed the question? I think that people think of joy and for that matter, people think of love and most positive emotions as something that just happens to them, right? Some people think of joy and love, enjoyment is just something that just happens to them, right? Like if something good happens to me, I will be happy. But the reality of the situation is that um, happiness, joy, love really is an active choice. We can actually practice these things as active choices. And that too completely shifts our perception on whatever is going on, right? So um, enjoyment is a conscious choice, right? You know, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, what if I were to um, choose to purposefully enjoy the challenge, right? Like actively enjoy the challenge. Be like, oh, I'm getting crushed a little, but you know what? Like I'm learning, I'm growing. And like, ultimately this is turning me into the human that I am going to be one day. And, I, and I'm, and I'm going to relish this. I'm going to relish everything that I'm learning and everything that I'm getting from this and everything that ultimately this is nourishing me with, right? I think yes. challenges, challenges fundamentally nourish us. Mm, yes, um, it is. On a more simplistic level, this really comes up again with food. You know, with food in particular, it's like I can actually choose to enjoy what I'm eating at any given moment. Most people who are diet binge cycling never enjoy anything they eat, right? Like they're mm-hmm. either restricting and like trying to control and not enjoying their food, or they're like completely rebelling. They're feeling guilty. They're completely rebelling. Oh my God, I shouldn't be eating this. I suck. Like, this is awful. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm just like shoveling the cookies in my mouth, like hoping no one catches me. And it's so fast. I don't even taste the food, right? Like, it's right. Just, I'm on autopilot right now right. doing this thing, feeling terrible about myself. There's no actual pleasure, you know, like, oh, oh this is such a delicious cookie. Mm. Yeah. Right. Without it being like, oh my God, I need this cookie. Right. Yes. I mean, like, and so it is, um, there's something to be said for pleasure is where we relax and where, where we are present and where we get out of that extreme sense of urgency that sort of drives us crazy, certainly with food and in a lot of other areas of our life. It's like pleasure is where, pleasure is, how, is the fastest way to practice mindfulness. How about that? Mm. Right. Easiest yes. way to practice mindfulness. It's like, I used to have a really big problem with mindfulness because I'd be like, oh my God, this is so boring. I feel like I'm a monk in, in like the monastery <laughs> and like, oh my God, like I just want to eat it, right? Or like, I just want to do it. <laughs> and when I switched the par- the paradigm from mindfulness to savoring, Ooh. right? Savoring, Ooh, so enjoying, good. like really getting my pleasure from something total shift about mindfulness it's like all of a sudden the whole paradigm of mindfulness completely shifted when i started to really understand that mindfulness ultimately at its core is savoring enjoying yes just eat like getting like every little ounce of pleasure out of something that you possibly yes I think I'm so glad that you mentioned that because mindfulness for me like in the beginning was all about like I'm supposed to be like super just flat 
and like non-responsive to anything like this observer's mind, right? Like I'm not attached to anything. I'm totally detached. I had a really big problem with that. Right. And then I realized that it's not about being flat. It's about being awake. It's right. about being like super aware. And so all of your senses are heightened. Yes. And when we do that, we're experiencing like the depth and breadth of life in like a whole new way, you know? Yes, yes, totally, mm. totally. Yeah, yeah, well said. It's about being awake, being yeah. awake, just letting my experiences thrill me. So, okay, I have to ask you this question. I wasn't going to go here, but I have to because I'm so intrigued. Okay. How has your definition of enoughness changed through your journey? Like, where, where are you now? Like, how would you define it for yourself? Enoughness is whatever is going on. Oh. Straight up. Period. Period. And sometimes it's hard for me to believe that, right? Sometimes oh, yes. it's hard for me to believe that. But, but functionally, my most wise self knows that to be true. And the spiritual challenge, the spiritual practice is to, is to, is to reconnect with that fundamental truth, right? It's about understanding and remembering that, right? It exactly where I am today is enough. Exactly what's happening to me, exactly what I have today, exactly what my relationships are, exactly what my situation is. That is the definition of enough right there. The spiritual practice is not about getting more stuff or getting more of a different kind of circumstance or different kind of situation. The spiritual practice is connecting to enoughness in exactly what is today. Oh my God. I don't, I'm, I just, I'm so in love. I'm so in love with that definition because a lot of people, when I ask that question, will go into worthiness. And even I have that concept of going into that. I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. I've become enough. All of these things. I am enough. But the fact that you phrase it is like, it is whatever is right now, whatever is going on. Like it does not matter. Right. Enoughness is here. Right. I Enoughness is here. The question is, are you allowing yourself to be pulled into the fantasy of something else being what you need, right? Yes. Um, are, you being, are you allowing yourself to sort of get sucked into this idea, which talk about culture, right? right. I mean, like culture, I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is highly cultural, right? If you yes. did not, if you were not surrounded by advertisements and comparisons with other people and all of the stuff, you would just, and if you had no other frame of reference for anything other than your own experience, you would assume your experience is enough. Yes. Right. And so really all that's happening when we don't feel enoughness right now is we're just getting caught up in a bunch of fantasies out in the outside world that are, again, ultimately all just fantasies because they're not what's happening right now with us. They are not actually what's real. What's real is exactly what is happening. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. We have to talk about stop fighting food Okay, because I think that's a really important resource for everybody who's listening today. Yes. So if you don't think I'm totally nuts, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think you're totally wise. (laughs) Yay. Um, so, and for anyone who's interested more on sort of, you know, the various different things that I've learned about food and body related subject matters, binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive dieting, feeling crazy around food, really, which is, that's really my, my sweet spot of what I, where I help women is like, I help women stop feeling crazy around food. Like the complete, like mind sucking. Oh my God, I can't stop thinking this is the center of my life. Right. Just being able to move 
um, into a space where food is just food, right? It's just like, it just is what it is, right? It's just, it's, you know, um, that is, that's really like, I think the center of my work. And if Mm -hmm. anyone is interested in this concept, uh, are interested in these ideas. First place to go, stopfightingfood.com, yeah. um, which is my video training series, which is uh, like an introduction to all of these, you know, the sort of awesome. core principles that I've learned. And then also my blog is is pretty, uh, thank you for your praise of it earlier. Mm-hmm. My blog is a great, is a very curated, it's a very curated blog um, with sort of almost reads like a book. Yes. Um, and it's a great, you know, it's a great starting point for anyone who kind of is ready to hear something totally new and, and, um, about food and body related issues. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Oh, and my emails also new blog posts I've sent out via email and they tend to be pretty, pretty value packed. So, um, yeah, I always say, you know, I'm not really a social media person. You're not going to find much of me on Facebook or anything like that. But if you want, you know, the good stuff, get on my email list. I love that. I love it. So everybody who's listening, you guys know, like we've kind of been on this journey um, with Isabel's uh, podcast episode. And then also the one last week or two weeks ago with Dr. Glenn Livingston, where we talked about overeating, we've talked about enoughness. We've talked about actually coming home to yourself, being in your body, finding like, solace here, finding peace here. I think that's such a big piece. And I'm glad that you have found me. I am obsessed with your work. I think you're doing such amazing stuff in the world. So I just wanted to highlight for everybody, like when we're talking about becoming whole, it's really this like body, mind and spirit thing. And we can't just leave one off the island, as I I would say Glennon Doyle Melton says, like we vote pieces of ourselves off the island. Like it's really this trinity and finding wholeness there. And I think that you speak so well to that, Isabel, with the spiritual practices and being at home in your body and learning to, to love what is right in front of you. So thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. Man, I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh my gosh, me too. Thank you so much, Megan. Like you have such an incredible energy about, oh, about you. Like I could talk to you all day. I know. I feel the same about you. Oh God. Oh, yeah. So everybody, please go and check out stopfightingfood.com. Um, get in touch with all of the resources Isabel has because she really does put a lot of great content out into the world and it's yeah. super valuable. So yeah, everything's we'll, free. Yeah. Yeah. Just go take it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you in a couple of days for another motivational Monday.